Power Hour. Coal. Oil. Natural gas. Power Hour, the show where today's top energy experts break down today's top energy issues. No sound bites, no talking points, no nonsense, no BS, no softball questions, no vagueness, just in-depth analysis and ruthless clarity. Here's your host, Alex Epstein. Hi again and welcome to Power Hour. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. Uh, last week, I was away in Turkey, so we had a bit of an unusual show. This week, I'm actually still away in Turkey. Um, so we're going to have another show, which is this idea of doing a Q&A, because it's hard to get a guest coordinated, um, and with the broader idea of thinking about how we think about energy. So looking at the questions, and as we discussed last week, really thinking about what are the assumptions behind this question uh, about let's say, the role of government, about what's right, about how to think about things. So ask ourselves, what are the assumptions behind a question? And then are those assumptions true? Um, And that's a lot of what the discipline of philosophy teaches us to do. And I think that is super, super valuable in understanding energy issues. So this week, we've got a whole bunch of new questions. I'm not sure how we're going to cover them all in an hour, but uh, I'll try not to be long-winded. Perhaps that's uh, the solution. But I just wanted to to share with you one one really exciting thing, because we're talking about philosophy, uh, I'm actually just a couple of miles away from Miletus, uh, which is, is a part of Greece where philosophy began with the philosopher Thales and also the philosophers uh, Anaximander and Anaximenes. And Thales is arguably the first philosopher, the first mathematician, and the first scientist. So you can imagine how cool it was to go to places where he actually walked, where he actually was the first person to really seek natural explanations, this worldly explanations, instead of looking to say, you know, a mystical explanation. So when it rains, he's really trying to understand the mechanics within nature of what in nature makes rain happen. Not that that was a question he he dealt with, although his central theory involved water, um, but just the whole phenomenon of asking why and looking to nature for a why uh, was so profound. So anyway, that's, uh, I thought you guys might like to know that if you are ever in the area, if you're ever looking for an amazing place to visit, I'd suggest reading up on Thales, uh, reading up on early Greek philosophy, and then uh, visiting, because that is uh, quite an experience. All right, let us get to the show. As you might notice, those of you who are watching on video, I'm not sure when this ver- when the video version is coming out, as upload speeds here aren't necessarily the greatest, but those of you who see this should, should see that you're actually seeing my computer screen uh, right now. I thought since we're doing an unconventional show, we might as well make it even more unconventional. And I'm going to not only show the questions on the screen, but also... Uh, some bullet points of the answers. So email me if if you find that helpful. Maybe we'll try to do something like that in the future. And also, in some cases, I'm being asked about a whole article. So the fun of ScreenFlow is we can actually look at the individual parts of the article uh, and kind of highlight them. And uh, you can actually see and follow um, when I'm, you know, either praising something or criticizing it uh, or making some point in reference to it. So let's uh, let's begin. All right, so first question from 
Isaac. Uh, timely question, although not not related to the subject of the show. Seemingly, we have to ask Alex Obamacare. Well, this is uh, not only a profoundly important issue for the future of our country, um, but also one I, I've thought quite a bit about it and, and written quite a bit about uh, in the past. But I don't want to just go into this issue to just make a comment on health care for the week, because I think what this issue brings out um, is one of the most, or, or it's sort of um, the thing that can help you understand it is the thing that can really help you understand so many of the energy questions that are going to come up later. Uh, and this is a principle. I don't think I've talked about it explicitly on the show. Maybe I have, but it, it certainly bears repeating. And that is the principle, and this is Ayn Rand's principle, of the separation of state in economics. The separation of state in economics. And it's a very interesting wording because it's it's not exactly the separation of economy in state, although it is that in a certain sense, um, because, I mean, the government obviously needs to be involved in the economy in the sense of it's enforcing the laws, it's, you know, defining force and fraud in different contexts, and then, of course, in enforcing it, it has to use uh, a certain amount of force. So it can't initiate force, but it, it is certainly involved in the economy. But economics really refers to people's ideas about the economy, say their ideas about how a healthcare system should be arranged, or their ideas about what form of energy should be used. And Ayn Rand's point is in that realm, the government has absolutely nothing to say. The government should have no opinion about solar energy. It should have no opinion about what form of healthcare system exists. That should be solely the province of individuals. And when that happens, the magic of it is that you're free to live your own life however you choose. And if someone has a good idea or an idea you think is good, you can follow it. And if someone has a bad idea or an idea you think is bad, you don't have to follow it. And everyone can try whatever they want, and they can try it uh, on whatever uh, scale they want. So if we take the, the issue of Obamacare, um, think about what this is. This is, I mean, this is effectively a, a kind of coercive, putting us in a coercive healthcare commune. Now, certain people think that it's good for certain people's risks and benefits in health to be allocated in certain ways, and I think they are profoundly incorrect about that. But there's a very easy way to determine who is right. Allow those people who believe in this system, you know, who believe in the kind of setup of an Obamacare, everyone who believes that, rich and poor, and there are many, many, many rich people who believe that, let them do it voluntarily and see how it works. And if they're not willing to do it voluntarily, if they want to coerce it, that's both immoral and it indicates that they know on some level that it's not right. So I want to um, take a look at, this is an article I wrote for the Ayn Rand Institute a couple years ago called the, A Call for the Separation uh, of Economics and State. So first, I'm going to give you a little passage about just what uh, proper health care should consist of, and then um, the broader idea of separation of state and economics, and that's going to come up later in the show, or really with every other question uh, that comes up today, I think. So it's this. This is a proper society. Individuals pay for their health and its care. You are free to search out the best, most affordable services from doctors, nurses, and other producers who are free to offer and charge for them. 
There are no government restrictions on the supply of medical professionals via licensing laws, just laws prohibiting medical fraud and malpractice. For example, a nurse trained in healing minor broken bones is free to start her own practice for lower-income customers. There are no free health care programs, so-called, such as Medicare, Medicaid, or government-imposed collective, quote-unquote, insurance plans to artificially drive up costs. The government cannot mandate that employers offer health insurance. Instead, individuals pay for their own care, perhaps through a combination of direct payment for anticipated expenses and the purchase of catastrophic insurance for high, unanticipated expenses, or, and this is key, some yet undreamed of superior solution to the market that the, the market comes up with. The result of a real market in medicine would be the same as in the market for computers. Over time, the same dollar would buy better and better products and services. Now, I want you to notice something about this scenario. It is completely devoid of any assertions that people need to act a certain way with regard to healthcare, and it's very, very tentative, deliberately in even saying what the right arrangement would look like. Because the point is the right arrangement can only be determined by what people voluntarily choose uh, and figure out. And that, you know, will lead. That's both the right, you know, that's the right thing. And part of it being the right thing is that is what leads to the knowledge over time of of what works best. Um, So I want to scroll down here. And so in this article, I discuss a a whole bunch of... uh, Oops, sorry, scrolling error here. Um, I, I discuss a whole bunch of different realms, but um, there's a unifying element. And so it's that it's this, and so it's at the top of the page. In a free market, every individual has an absolute right to act in the economic realm as he judges best, with force being outlawed. The government has nothing whatsoever to say about which economic ideas get adopted, in which economic ideas get rejected. This is the key point of energy. Nothing to say about what what economic ideas about energy get adopted, what energy technologies get adopted, none of that. That is decided by individuals via voluntary persuasion and exchange. If someone wants more windmills or a lower interest rate on a loan or a different way of financing healthcare, as a private citizen, he is free to pursue his economic goals. In 19th century America, for example, some individuals used persuasion to form full-fledged communes and reaped the predictably predictably negative results. If we had state economic separation today, those who favor some form of collectivized medicine, including many billionaires, are free to start a modern health modern-day healthcare commune of their own. But they would be unable to use the government's coercive power to foist medicine on those of us who remain unconvinced by their ideas. And so those in energy who think they have such, you know, brilliant schemes to out-compete oil, etc. Those who actually do are and will be happy to do that on the free market, but those who say they need a government subsidy or a government mandate, they should be told that we have a separation of energy economics and state, or rather that that we should. We should aspire to that. So this is this is a tool for understanding the proper relationship between government and any industry. Even if you know nothing about the specifics of the industry, what you can know is that the source of all values is the human mind and that the only right way to determine what ideas get adopted and what don't is the free voluntary association of individuals. So if you know that, if you had, if you had barely even heard of healthcare or energy, energy is more plausible you've never heard of, knowing that would put you, I would say, in many ways ahead of 90% of the professionals in the field.
All right. And speaking of professionals in the field, uh, I got this question, which I want to apply some of these ideas to. I mean, what did you think of this article, No New Nukes, uh, in Reason Magazine? I, I meant to put the name of the person who asked it. Or, or rather, it's, it's No Two Nukes, but uh, same idea. So last week we talked about asking ourselves for any article, what are the, what are the premises of the article? And, and are they true? And I'd say the premise that is, that is in almost, uh, the premise that is almost in almost every article about energy is what, I just came up with this term today, but I kind of like it, I'll call the little Caesar premise. And it's the exact opposite of believing in separation of state and economic. It's the idea that you as a citizen or I as, an, or I as sort of a professional in this field should have an opinion on which energy technology should it be adopted or not. And often I get questions that implicitly are asking me, well, what, what's the right future for America? And I always have to give this answer that people think boring, which is I have no idea. And I shouldn't have any idea. What I know is what kind of political system will lead to millions of people with amazing ideas figuring out and implementing what the best energy sources are. But they're just there's articles after articles where people uh, just say all these things, and they're often just completely factually uh, bizarre. But they just they're they're non-issues, as in what they should be saying. So let's say we're dealing with nuclear power. They should be talking about how to make it, how to how to properly protect rights in nuclear and liberate the the green movement's you know decades long stranglehold. But instead they try to like make these definitive declarations. So the first thing I see about this article is the title. As soon as we see this title, we know something is wrong. No two nukes. You will never, ever hear anyone from Center for Industrial Progress say something like that. Say no to solar, no to wind. That is not the right way to think uh, about energy. Even, even if we can explain um, why those technologies are enormously efficient, inefficient at this time, and why we don't see any evidence that they will become. There's no reason, and every reason, not to make some sort of categorical declaration uh, about the future of technology, because it implies that we're telling other people what to do. We are not telling them what to do. We are telling them what not to do uh, to our freedom. So the only thing we're telling them is create a free society. So someone's writing an article that says, no to nukes, as against, say, nuclear's prospects look negative, which would be, you know, a fine kind of article to write, uh, or, you know, someone in who actually knows about the issue, and that this author unfortunately doesn't know too much, um, writing something, you know, you could have pro and cons on different nuclear technologies like thorium and different sorts of reactors, and, you know, where's, where's the potential, or now that gas is so low, can nuclear compete given the current economic conditions? Those are all interesting. Uh, but to say anything like no to nukes uh, is shows that there's a certain kind of little Caesar premise. And this is this is interesting because this is an article from Reason magazine, which has some really good stuff in it, um, you know, sometimes. And, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's, you know, obviously considers itself a pro-liberty magazine, and I think the title Reason, although I know this for sure, is emphasizing the focus on reason and liberating reason versus force. We'll see that this article 
is not thinking about it in a really pro-reason, certainly not pro-liberty uh, way at the core. So let's, let's, uh, let's get into this. Okay, so, um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, okay, so first paragraph just saying how people predicted that nuclear would, you know, be, puts it as, uh, p provide pollution-free, limitless electricity for all. Now, whoever said that, I mean, that's, people kind of, that's their reading of history. That's not a serious reading of advocates of nuclear power. So it's already being derogatory in an, un, an unnecessary way. And then, okay, this prediction missed the mark. So that raises the question, why did it miss the mark? That was it just the failure of technology or was there government intervention involved? And you would imagine a responsible author would look into both things and that, that a pro-liberty author would sort of uh, would be predisposed toward the idea that government intervention was involved, especially if you just know the general perception of nuclear power or, or many of the, the um, critical things and, and uh, hysteria created about nuclear power. Um, all right, so we've got, let's see. Um, and then... Let's check this out. Surprising it may, as it may seem, the United States still generates around 20% of its electricity from nuclear power plants. I don't know who this is surprising to since it's, I mean, it's an incredible technology. The energy density of, uh, you know, of the material, the uranium used in nuclear generation is a million times that of oil, which is the second best. So you would expect that, if anything, it would be generating more than, than 20%. Uh, and if you look at, say, um, the San Onofre reactor that we have near me and near where I live in Southern California, or the Palo Verde reactor in, in Arizona, the, those, I mean, per unit of power, that's basically the cheapest power once the plant is built uh, that you can get. Okay. So this, despite the fact that no new facilities have been built since the notorious Three Mile Island accident of 1979, which released small amounts of radioactive gases and iodine in the environment, after a partial meltdown at a nuclear power plant in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania. Public opinion has remained steadfast against the technology ever since. Now, the author should say something about whether this reaction was appropriate and what this means. And here's what's left out. That no one died at all and that this was a proof that this was nuclear power going bad was a proof of how relatively safe it is compared to everything. And yet the author just throws out this claim, making you think that, oh, there's a really good chance that nuclear power is really dangerous, and uses buzzwords like radioactive gases, but doesn't explain what that is, or doesn't explain that, that those were not uh, a danger that hurt anyone. So this is all just... Now, this, this part of it is just the person writing about this either does not understand the technology, and I, I looked up her bio, this is not her field at all, um, or is just, ha I mean, in this case, uh, my guess is there's a certain group of, of um, people in the libertarian movement that have this narrative that nuclear power is the Republicans' equivalent of solar and wind. And this is very dubious narrative in the sense that they want the government to sponsor it even if it's not effective. Whereas those of us who are truly in favor of nuclear power, what that means is we're in favor of nuclear freedom. And we recognize that this technology's freedom has really been gutted since the beginning and absolutely since the 70s. 
And um, you can read the rest of the article, um, but the basic thing it evades is that is this whole, it, it treats it very superficially and doesn't really, you know, this whole issue that for 50 years, or more than 50 years, we have not had a proper set of laws with regard to nuclear power. Nuclear power has been incredibly discriminated against. So she talks about, oh, nuclear construction is taking a long time. And if you look at the data, it takes a lot longer than it used to, even though technology in general has improved. So that obviously means it's a government barrier. And if you look at the safety of the technologies created in the 70s, they're still far safer than any other form of power. So it means the government has unjustly intervened. But to criticize the technology saying, oh, it's taking a lot of construction time without looking into the government is just, uh, I mean, it's just horrible journalism. And this is, this is unfortunately very, very common. Uh, what, what we get in, in energy journalism is usually just someone who doesn't know too much about the issue, someone gives them an assignment, and they give you some out-of-context fragment that uh, represents their particular ideology or um, agenda. So it's, and, I, and I hopefully I have time at the end to talk a little bit about um, really Center for Industrial Progress's flagship project, which is the Industrial Encyclopedia, which is designed to give you a, a go-to resource that's that's objective and I'd say compelling and educational in a way that that I don't think there's any uh, equivalent of today. I mean, there's some really amazing stuff, but it's usually buried within books that are over a thousand pages long. Um, so getting to some of these points, I just want to get into the this make a broader point about why so this raises the issue when you read an article about nuclear power, why are you reading an article about nuclear power? And I think there are some good reasons to read these kinds of articles and some bad reasons uh, because there are other things to read. So why do, why to care about energy technology I guess is the more uh, more basic question and one is and of course I want you to because I want you to listen to this show or watch this show. But one is to understand how your world works, which is important and to have that in a whole variety of fields. What makes the amazing things in it possible? What makes bad things happen? Uh, and then what is kind of what is the state of it? At least, you know, to just know what's going on. And that's that's really cool. That's and that that's and also it can be alarming, especially when there are bad political developments. That's part of just being a responsible human being or responsible citizens. That's all great, and that's why I hope you'll continue to listen uh, to Power Hour. Um, and then this is part of it, this issue of um, because we have so much government intervention in industry, it's we're in a situation where we need to learn a lot more about energy technology. Um, or I should say, you know, the average American needs to learn a lot more about energy technology, than he otherwise would because we're, we don't have that separation of state and economics, so we're constantly being foisted with different new sources of energy or different potential bans on energy, and we need to know then much more about, okay, what is solar and what exactly is being foisted on us and how much attention should I pay to it? Because it turns out that they're trying to ban you know, at least 80% of fossil fuels, which are completely essential to life, and the things they're, they're claiming that will replace it, there's no evidence whatsoever that they will, and it's completely driven by um, their, you know, their basic anti-industrial philosophy, not, not even remotely uh, driven by science, as evidenced by things like their 
opposition to non-CO2 emitting nuclear power. But anyway, that's, that's part of the reason why we go into a lot of depth on certain issues, particularly on bad technologies and power, because of the role of government, the invalid role of government, but still the way life is, you need to know more about this stuff than you otherwise would. So many of the fallacies that I would go into on this show, um, you know, they wouldn't be such an issue in the show. All you'd really have to do would be just pay attention to what's the price of a given source of energy, what's the convenience, and then know something about, you know, any hazards associated with it, because that would be relevant to government policy, you know, to um, protect uh, against, you know, certain kinds of endangerment and pollution. But that would really be it. It'd be super simple. What's You would need to know all these details. You might be somewhat interested in the future. That would be fine. You could read popular science or whatever, but you wouldn't have to have an opinion on, like, what can solar ever work. And, that, and you just wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be an issue. And you don't have... Almost all of you don't have the equivalent of, you know, can X television technology ever work? I mean, you don't even probably know all the different hypothetical technologies that people would like uh, to make work or that would probably accept government money to foist on people if that were the nature of that market. Because it's a free market, you know the best product's going to come out and you just care about you just care about being free to buy the best, uh, the best one. And that leads me to the kind of why not? to care about energy. And so one is so that you can predict the future of energy. I mean, that's that's a very difficult profession. If you can do it well, you can make uh, a lot of money. But I think most of the times when I get asked to predict the future of the energy, it's with the idea of the person kind of deriving their political alignment from that information. And I tell them, look, I, I don't have this prediction. I can tell you certain trends. I can tell you certain evidence. But the real thing is that we want people to be free so that the trends go in the best uh, direction, so people can figure out the best answers instead of being forceful, forcefully forbidden uh, to find those answers. So this this thing that I mentioned before, this I do not care about energy, so you can encourage the government to dictate the future of energy. So again, we do not say no new solar panels, no you know, no to solar panels, no to wind turbines, just stop forcing them on us. That and that's that's a really uh, profound difference. So yeah, I um, again I went into some of the specifics. It distorts or evades crucial facts. Uh, it's typical in that it, um, you know, it's bad and confusing, and you'd be better off not reading it. I think it's true about most uh, energy, you know, energy writing in general. I think most of it is confusing, and I think in general. If you have to err on the side of something, you should err on the side of, uh, of reading books or um, some of the stuff if you go to our website under Get Educated. There's key readings. There's some really good stuff there. But, you know, just getting a, some of the basics of, I think, pro-capitalist political philosophy, moral philosophy, understanding the role of government, um, and then, you know, doing, doing reading on from sources where the person has actually spent a lot of time um, you know, instead of these kind of hack jobs, uh, is a lot better. Of course, Power Hour, part of the reason it's an hour, and part of the reason I think we have very high-quality people on the show, is so that you get a, you get the big picture and you get uh, depth and accuracy instead of just, you know, some uh, agenda. Um, so, yeah, and I say at the end here, the author is, quote, free market, but doesn't understand the proper moral or political 
philosophy of a free market. I mean, you, I'm sure the author would object to that, but I think the, it's constantly jumping between... It, it, it shows no clear idea that the government should not be involved in this and that the government has been involved profoundly in nuclear power. You studied the history of nuclear and are not completely outraged by what it has done and just the lives it's ruined, the unnecessary deaths it's caused. Uh, if you can look at that or tackle the issue without, without having that as your focus, you, you don't really believe in freedom you know as as morally good you believe in it in the sense of you think in terms of like the collective good and freedom seems to be convenient sometimes and other times it doesn't and you know which is is a very typical um position which i won't hesitate to say is why i think ayn rand is such a, a compelling and influential uh pro-capitalist philosopher because she always looks at everything from the perspective of the individual the individual's freedom what's right and and you know also the perspective of are people free to use their mind and make their own decisions or are they being uh forced um, and coerced and not able to do that and that's why she has that brilliant principle of the separation of state uh, in economics all right so the next question from thomas is uh, what is the difference between a law and a regulation? And this is really one of my favorite issues in the sense of I think it's very misunderstood. And, and the term regulation is thrown out, you, thrown out and, and put forward um, as just there's just this mishmash of equating what a regulation is, what a law is. And then if you say, well, I don't believe in regulations, it's just viewed as insane. Um, so I'm going to at least play the beginning of a clip of me talking about this because uh, um, it was a session I was doing with uh, Keith Lockich at Heinrich Institute um, on Earth Day in the past, and this kind of issue came up, um, and I covered it there, so I'll, I'll just play that, and then I might uh, add a little bit, but I think it does a pretty good job of making the distinction. Let's see. That potentially falls under the role of a government that protects individual rights. So there's often this view of, well, there's unregulated capitalism, uncontrolled capitalism. And the image people have in their mind are people are just running wild and they're out of control and no one can stop them. And that's not it at all. What capitalism means, what laissez-faire means, is that the government's role is to protect your individual rights. And with respect to um, human interaction, the key idea here is that it all needs to be voluntary. So um, if you're to just take an example of something like um, this is, so what, what a control is, so it's not a control for the government to rent me from dumping oil on Keith's land, but it is a control if I want uh, if I want to drill for oil on Keith's land and Keith agrees and the government comes in and says, no, you can't do that because then it's interfering with voluntary exchange and voluntary behavior. So a control is something that interferes with voluntary interaction. So something that's pollution, um, pollution can interfere and thus it can come under the purview of the law. But one thing we have to think about when assessing... All right, so I, there are going to different points about pollution and what's the nature of pollution, but that's... We've talked about that before, and just the point here is, is that so laws are all objective laws are all you need. 
right? Because so what you want is a law to protect the voluntary. And that includes laws against, um, you know, interfering with other people's lives by flooding their lungs with smoke. You don't need a regulation. You know, or, um, and I prefer the term uh, control because regulation, what it's cashing in on is this idea that regularity is is often a good thing. And particularly in, a, in an economy, you have tons of regularity. Since if you go to 7-Eleven and you can get uh, a Twinkie for the same price and you know it's going to be there and it's coordinated. Now that regularity is exactly the product of the voluntary individuals fr being free uh, to act and interact using their best judgment, and that leads to a beautifully intelligent and coordinated system. Whereas, um, you know, little Caesars or big Caesars interfering with voluntary interaction is what, what leads to a breakdown in the regularities. The, the reg idea of regulation is on the premise that, that regularity, in a good sense, is created by uh, government interference with the voluntary, and that is exactly the opposite uh, of the truth. All right, so um, let's get to the industrial encyclopedia, and, and uh, I'm going to plug it for a minute uh, because I've gotten a lot of questions about it, and we're underway, and it's it's been really fun uh, to work on. And it actually, we had a question. It's not it's not I didn't put it up because it was a long question, but I'll kind of summarize it uh, from from Barbara. And this is one of the best questions I've gotten uh, because it really started, it started with kind of saying, I read all this contradictory stuff about oil and gas and energy, and where do I start? Can you recommend any books? And I think that's just such a good and refreshing attitude because it's just so easy to be, to be, let yourself and your thinking be controlled by whatever happens to be hot in the news and just read these like little snippet news stories after snippet news stories, but one good book uh, can be a game changer. Now, they told her in energy it's tricky because um, there's a lot of good facts out there. Um, the best stuff tends to be really, really long. Um, but again, everyone has a philosophy, and, and in most of the cases, I think the way they look at it, they're importing, they're usually not philosophers, they usually don't have a background in philosophy, and they're usually importing very conventional, in my view, incorrect philosophical premises. So you'll see wrong ideas about efficiency all over the place, uh, wrong ideas about environment, uh, lack of appreciation for the producers. Um, there's a lot of boredom in a lot of the books because just they don't have the proper value orientation. Um, and often there's a lot of amazing stuff, but it's often buried within other stuff. And so this is part of the reason why we're creating the Industrial Encyclopedia, uh, because arrogantly or not, I and the rest of us think that there needs to be a go-to resource that has a couple of attributes. And one is that it's it's issue by issue. So it's it's instead of being a book that covers a lot of things at the same time and is telling this one narrative and everything is streamlined for that narrative, it's just saying, no, I want to understand, you know, I want a big picture view of energy. Um, and that's, you know, that's an element of it. And then the other is, is that it, it that what, what do we think is important to include in the big picture? And, I'll get into some of the specifics in a second, and you can see some of them on the screen. 
Um, but it's really under always with every technology, every law, every story, every historical episode, um, every theory. We always want to understand how it works, but how it works in connection to human life. So that's always going to be in the industrial encyclopedia. Um, it's going to give you the big picture, explain things very objectively, but unapologetically explain them in relation to um, the standard of individual human lives. So if someone says, well, this is biased because it's not collectivist, well, great. It, but it's that's what it's focused on. Um, and that's what it will be uh, very clear about. And I think you'll find that uh, because it's asking and answering the right kinds of questions, the questions that really matter for your life and the right kind of society, um, just the, it'll help so much with getting the knowledge you need um, so much more quickly and be able to convince others uh, so much more quickly. So this is, this is all, you know, this is all subject to change to some extent because we're still working on it and every section we work on uh, helps figure out what's even more effective and there will be different alpha and beta versions, of course. But with, I just wanted to, to share with you guys the kinds of of questions that we're answering about all different kinds of technologies. Now, the first big section, as you might imagine, is energy because that's what I know the most about. And um, but we're you know we're going to do agri. I mean, we have sections that are manufacturing, agriculture, biotechnology, probably about I think about a dozen uh, different industries. So, first thing we talk about for any technology is what is the need for it? What is the need in human life that this technology meets? That you can't care about a technology. You can't understand it until you know the need. And the second thing is, what is what is life like before or without it? Or what's the default? In the absence of the technology, how do human beings go about meeting this crucial need? So there's a certain need with energy, for example, uh, for work power to sustain life. Before man-made power, before, let's say, fossil fuels, what was life like? That's really important. Um, and then it's really important, once you kind of know the problem that it's solving, the need that it's meeting, is how does it do that? Uh, what is the essential by means by which this need is now met in an incredible fashion? I, I use terms like incredible, with, and I view those as objective, as in should be really excited that we can do as much work uh, as we can and make our lives as good as we can. We should be excited about understanding. So, for example, we've got an entry, but also an article coming out soon um, on the history of what we'll call heat engines, which are all that, which are this includes the steam engine, internal combustion engine, diesel engine, etc. And it's so interesting to learn how just how that engine takes. Um, a certain fact of nature, and I won't give it all away, but basically the fact that heat dissipates, or from a different perspective, the law of entropy, and uses it to turn heat into motion. So you've got the whole history of energy where people can really only generate lots of energy by burning things, and then they figure out how to turn burning things into moving things. And that, everything changes after that. That's just the most miraculous thing. Uh, so look for that piece soon, uh, but also this that's the kind of thing that you'll get for every technology in the industrial encyclopedia. It needs, so as technical as it needs to be, but super, super clear, 
and not without non-essential technical details. Hazards is another section. We need to know. We need to know that we need to know for a given technology, how does it improve your life, but also what are the difficulties associated with it, because those will come up with, say, government uh, policy. And it's part of being really objective is we're not champions for one technology or another technology. We're champions for the improvement of human life through technology. So when we cover coal, we'll tell you about you know, the, the particulate matter that modern coal plants generate and what the evidence is about certain health risks of those. And we'll tell you the same thing about solar and wind uh, and anything else. There's no, we have, we have no, you know, skin in the game, so to speak, uh, of, you know, who, who wins and not. What we want to win is freedom. And then, of course, the best, the best energy and uh, the best things for our lives. Um, the others, you know, knowing the state of the art, that's exciting and important to know. So something like with oil, knowing about, or gas, knowing about hydraulic fracturing, how that works, what its potential positives are, that's really important. The economics of it, uh, this is, that's a whole discussion, but I think, I think that you'll find really, really clarifying. If, if you want to kind of hint, you can search for energy at the speed of thought, my article. It's just there's so much that, that to really understand energy, you need to understand how the economic system of energy works. And usually energy books only focus on just the technical details, but that leaves out the whole process of, of, of um, coordinated knowledge development and innovation, whether macro innovation or micro innovation, that leads to a given, leads to the fact that we use oil. People don't understand why do we use oil. They don't appreciate how much genius went into that fact. And once you do it, gives you a whole new perspective on 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 what we do and what we use now, and and how what we use in the future should be determined. Uh, history, as as I, I think I've probably stressed on the show, knowing the history of all these things is so valuable and, and cuts across everything. And knowing the economics and knowing the knowing even how it works, knowing the need for it, knowing life before it, knowing the hazards. Um, history is just, is, is just, that's, you know, that's the just gold mine that we start with. Uh, and then the proper policy, what is CIP's view on how to do this? And this is something that really, it's really important to me because if we want to change the world, we need to be able to say what policy should look like. We can't just say, we want to say, we need to know the basic principles like separation of state and economics, but we need to know something more about, well, what do endangerment laws look like with nuclear power? Because I think they look way different than anything that exists today. But we need to say what those are. So part of this is going to be a positive political policy. And then I think that will morph into something even, uh, even bigger, but that's that's a little bit down the road. And then fallacies. Once you understand all these positive things, then you look at the fallacies. Because once you get how something works and you, you see it objectively, you see the big picture, then if someone says, hey, we're going to run out of oil, that's, you know how to refute that in a second. That's a joke to you. Because you know that we only use oil because it's the best thing um, we can use. We know how to do it at the moment, and as soon as it's not, we'll use something else. It's not even, it's not a legitimate question, and ultimately, if you read the whole thing, you'll know the philosophy that comes from, what the fallacies of that philosophy are, what the proper resource philosophy is. Uh, so it's really exciting. 
so I bring this up because, well, I th this is something that I think for all of these questions, as you have them in the future, that will, this is something we'll be able to point out. Uh, but also because we're really working on it in earnest now. I've been working on it. Um, a bunch of people whose names you'll learn in the near future have been working on it. Uh, and I think it definitely, it's definitely something you want to support uh, financially. It's it, it's definitely taking re resources we need. We really need a, a full-time researcher. We have the perfect person. It's just a matter of uh, it's just a matter of getting resources to pay him. We need a full-time uh, market research slash um, design slash web person. We already have the perfect person. It's just a, ma it's just a matter of getting uh, the resources. And I mean, this thing will get done no matter what. Even if you know, even if we all have to go to the poorhouse, I'm joking. It's not going to happen. But this needs to exist sooner rather than later. So uh, I hope you're excited about it now. And as you see parts of it get rolled out, I hope you get even more excited and you know, go to industrialprogress.net slash donate and uh, um, you know, be a part of it. Or, or definitely feel free to email me at alex at industrialprogress.net, alex at industrialprogress.net. And, uh, and let me know what you think. Let me know if you want to go involved. Oh, look at that. My computer is running short on power, which is perfect timing because I think we've gone over an hour. And those are the, all the questions I wanted to hit. So thanks for, thanks for listening, as always. Um, if you have any feedback on the show, love mail, hate mail, whatever, send it to me by any means you want, but email is probably the easiest, alex at industrialprogress.net. Next week, uh, we will be back. Believe it or not, I will still be out of town, but I will be in the United States of America, so the technology should be easier. After that, I promise I'm going to be in easy places. So, um, But hopefully, hopefully these Q&A shows uh, have been good. Next week, we'll be back uh, with our regular guest format. And check our. Make sure to check our Facebook page for um, who will be on. What the topic will be. Facebook.com/industrialprogress and Facebook.com/the pursuit of energy. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I'm Alex Epstein, and this has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.